It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. My CEO guest today is Armand Siddiqui. Armand's a business coach, author, keynote speaker, and entrepreneur. And his education includes attending the University of California at Berkeley, earning a bachelor's degree in molecular and cell biology, as well as attending Harvard Medical School. He's a serial entrepreneur who started his first company in his parents' garage at the ripe age of 15 by teaching himself how to set up and maximize computer networks in the early 90s. Currently, Armand owns and operates six different companies, various industries, including IT, data security, business consulting, marketing, photography, and more. Armand Siddiqui, welcome into the corner office. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Brent. I appreciate it. Oh, it's great to have you here. And, you know, we talked a few weeks ago about your amazing career, and I'm so excited about hearing, you know, some of the uh, tidbits that you can share with our audience, some of the businesses that you've set up and been successful with, and how that's kind of evolved over years. But let's start a little bit with your early years. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up and, you know, what your early family life was like. Yeah. So, um, I, I grew up in Southern California, uh, ever since I was about nine years old, I actually was born in Iran and then my mm. family, uh, moved to Southern California and I've pretty much been here for most of my life since, um, other than going away for, uh, for school to a couple of different places. Was that and, at the uh, diaspora at the time of the Shah's, uh, decline or? When yeah, it was right or, around that time yeah, that my right. family moved. Yes. And was your family successful in business there? Were they in, were they in education? What was their your father and, and mother's um, profession in Iran? Yes. Yeah, so my uh, my mom and dad were both um, somewhat entrepreneurial, but okay. my dad was in the military, oh, and right. so they oh. started a, a business together. And so I grew up with seeing sort of a side business um, as uh, my dad was was doing his military stuff and and, oh. and things like that. So I got to experience both a you know, the typical life of a, of a military kid and yeah. then uh, what it's like to kind of have uh, entrepreneurs as parents. And do you remember those early days in Iran? I do. I do. Yeah. yeah. I was there until I was about nine. So, okay. you know, sure. good, some, certainly uh, a few years of it, I remember. Yeah. Well, the country certainly transformed a bit over the years, hasn't it? It, it definitely has. Yeah. Yes, it has. And then what did dad and mom do once they immigrated to the U.S.? Was it kind of a start over sequence for them? It absolutely was. Yeah. yeah. So, um, really, uh, uh, the, the, a few very, very rough years, um, Imagine. as they, uh, attempted to adjust into, into the culture. And, you know, for me going, going to school, not speaking a word of English and, and really having to, uh, 
sort of figure it out myself because my oh, parents wow. were so yeah, overwhelmed. Of course, you didn't have any English, any English education, I'm sure, in Iranian school, correct? Probably uh, French. You know, there or, actually is some. Uh, so yeah. my sisters, but I was too young, so it hadn't okay. clicked in for me yet. But right, my right, sisters right. had had it already. How many older sisters do you have? I have two older sisters. Two older sisters, cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I learned so, a lot from them. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So you kind of went to school cold, right? Gosh, that first day must have been pretty traumatic. Oh my gosh, it was it was yeah. one of the toughest experiences you can imagine. Showing I up to school, imagine. literally speaking, you know, maybe a few words uh, right. of English and that's it. And not having any clue where to go or what to do. But, you know, it, it was the first year was really rough. And then um, by the second year, I was, I was speaking uh, really well. By the third, by, well, by my... Full sec by by the end of my second year in the U.S., I was speaking English fluently, and to the point that people assumed that I was born and raised here. Isn't that amazing? So yeah. quick, you know. It's if we could all learn multiple languages young, right? <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Tell me about some of the inspire inspiring things that mom and dad, uh, you know, taught you or that you observed in those early years. Yeah, you know, I I had a very unique childhood in that mm. I had two role models um, who were so incredibly different in my mom right. and dad. But um, it, it was, I got this combination of, of what they taught me. Um, my dad is to this day is a massive inspiration to me because he's just mm. a master with his words. You know, he'll, to this day in my, in my mid forties, my dad will come over to my house and find out something I'm struggling with personally, business, whatever it may be. And, uh, and, and he'll, he'll just say these words that are so inspirational and, mm. you know, and just the other day he was talking to me and. And, and, and it was, he left and I thought, I said, I thought to myself, gosh, you know, how lucky was I to have this guy around every day growing up? Awesome. Um, and then my mom, on the other hand, not much of a talker, but the, the action is mm. incredible. You know, when we moved to the U S um, the only sort of uh, the art my mom had that she could pursue and make money at doing is she was a seamstress. Oh. And so she started doing alterations work and things like that. And sure. there were times where we were fine, financially struggling, um, it, really, really struggling. And, uh, um, they, I would see my mom work two full-time jobs wow. and have her wake up in the morning, get us ready for school. And of course we were kids. We didn't understand. So we would yell and scream and do all the crazy <laughs> things that kids do. And my poor mom would, you know, make us breakfast and we'd complain <laughs> about what she made us for breakfast. And then she'd get up and go to her first job and then go to her second job. Jeez. Um, and then get home after her second job and still make dinner for the family. Wow. You know, wow. I mean, just, just incredible, Dedicated. incredible yeah. things. What a and so yeah. from my mom, I, I, I learned, um, you know, what hard work looks like and to not right. be scared of working hard. And I think that was a, that was a big part of what made me, uh, who I am today. That's awesome. And, and what kind of work did dad do? Did he continue in his, um, his uh, entrepreneurial profession? Well, once we came here that, you know, it's, uh, he was being in the military, of course, that right. doesn't translate over. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Unfortunately, um, right, right. And, and, and then the uh, business stuff that they were doing there doesn't necessarily translate over because yeah. of the language barrier and things sure. like that. So he had to sort of do the same thing and work his way back up and got wow. into some entrepreneurial things, but um, uh, eventually got into uh, some businesses with my mom and, and family and, um, and uh, you know, they, they made it work, but Gosh, those few years were pretty tough. <laughs> I can imagine. Were older sisters uh, pretty inspirational for you too? Did they help you with language learning? And what do you remember from those days? I mean, they used to beat up on me a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I have two older brothers, so I can identify with that. Oh. Well, I, I, let me tell you, I learned to have a lot of respect for women uh, uh, because they would, 
I always tell the story of how they, they, they beat up on me my entire childhood. And one day I, I forget, I was probably about, you know, 12 years old or something. And finally, or maybe even 14, you know, I had just started to sort of get some strength as a, as a, as a boy. Um, and I was starting to get some height on me and some weight on me. So finally I was <laughs> almost back. as big as they were. Um, and, and, you know, there was this one time we had a, we had a fight and they double teamed me like they always do. And for the first time in my life, I was able to like overpower them where they oh, couldn't beat great. up on me. I love and, it. and so, um, as soon as that fight happened, um, my dad pulls me aside. He says, son, I have to have a talk with you. And he pulls mm -hmm. me aside and he's like, men don't hit women. Oh, wow. And I thought, are you kidding How me? They've been beating up on me for 12 or years. whatever years. And finally the day I get, you know, I get the upper hand. Now you tell me I, I, you know, the men don't hit women, but <laughs> so crazy. it was, it was a, uh, it was, a, it was interesting, but I, I'll tell you to this day, um, growing up with two sisters who are both very intelligent, um, very hardworking. One is now a doctor, wow. one is an attorney, um, both really amazing, amazing women. And, um, it taught me to have uh, respect for women yeah. in a way that uh, I think a lot of people just aren't exposed to. Yeah. Yeah. And it shows in my, in my businesses, you know, in mm -hmm. many of my businesses, uh, some of my uh, highest ranking executives uh, who I hire are women. Um, right. And, you know, not that that should be a surprise to anybody, but I probably have a disproportionate number of, of um, high ranking females in, in my great. organization. And it's yeah. because I interview these people and I'm, you know, all I can see is I see my mom, I see my two sisters <laughs> and, uh, you know, and not that my dad was a slacker or anything. Right, he was, right. he was a great thing. You know, he was great at all this stuff too, but it was kind of like from dad, I expected it. Um, you know, whereas from, uh, from my mom and sisters, uh, it was, it was, yeah. it was a, well, an I'm amazing sure experience. I'm sure that's added a lot to your success, which isn't, doesn't surprise me. Uh, back you. to your school years, once you kind of mastered the language, uh, were you a good student? Was I a good student? Yeah. Oh man, that's a, uh, that's a good one. Uh, no, I was actually a terrible student. Hmm. Um, <laughs> I had a, um, uh, uh probably a, a, a 2.0 GPA oh, wow. for most of my schooling because, and the only reason I had a 2.0 was because that's what I needed to maintain right. to stay on the basketball challenged. and football team. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, um, so no, the only subject that always came easy to me was math. And mm -hmm. so consistently I was, I was getting A's in math and really without trying much, right. but with, um, with all the other subjects, um, they were difficult and I struggled. And, and finally, uh, my junior year of high school, after, um, finishing my first semester, my junior year, I had a 0.0, .0 grade point average. Um, <laughs> oh <my goodness. laughs> yeah, straight up. You have I, to I, really work hard to do that. You know that, right? It, it is not easy. Let me tell you, because I, I, one of those classes I believe was, uh, like music. And one of them was, uh, was, uh, the PE and it's, it's really hard to fail those classes. So, mm. um, but the reason that that happened is because I, um, early in my junior year, I actually started my own company. And oh, so I right. started a business and, and, uh, it, it just, it took all my focus and, yeah. and I never enjoyed school. Um, and so it was, it was a, uh, you know, school just became this, this secondary thing and, and I was doing really well. So, um, I, I actually dropped out of high school, um, yeah. halfway through my junior year to pursue my business full time. Tell us about that first business. What was it? Yeah. So it was, I started a, uh, um, a sort of an IT consulting company. Now hmm. keep in mind, this is the early nineties. Yeah. And so the internet was, I mean, it was born, but not really. No one knew about the internet. And Lexus, so Nexus I was, and, you know, code, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I was setting up, um, 
networks for doctors' offices, law offices, oh. and stuff like that, and and really doing some pretty uh, pretty interesting stuff. And um, and it it was a it was a huge success. Um, I did I did exceptionally well, and uh, it was I was really fortunate to have um, to have had that first um, sort of entrepreneurial thing. But um, was you know, it profitable? It was profitable, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So when did I was, you hire uh, other people, or was it more of a one man single shingle type of an? You no, know, I did. Support? I did hire a few people. Oh. Um, yeah, and I actually, you know, be, by the time I was about uh, a little over sixteen years old, I moved out of my parents' house. I I got my wow. own apartment and a nice car and this and that. Um, and so, you know, from as far as I could tell, um, I had made it. And uh, uh, you know, nowadays looking back, I wasn't making as much money as it felt like then, but I was, you know, wealthy beyond, beyond, uh, anything I could have imagined at the time. Right. <laughs> and but you so went back to a, school, right? I think you went to Cal Berkeley and I did. got a bachelor's degree. So, so what made you kind of go down that path and when was that? Yeah. So, um, a few years into it, um, it, just as my friends were graduating high school or my old schoolmates had graduated high school, it started to really started to really bother me that I had never gotten an education. Mm. And, you know, I had the money, I had the success, but I felt really unfulfilled. Um, and it was one of those times in my life where um, I learned some very valuable lessons and feeling unfulfilled. I decided I was going to do something about it. Mm. And um, I made a decision that I was going to go back to school and pursue um, getting my degree and, uh, and, you know, I, I never, I was never scared of, um, what I would do to make money. So, um, I sold the business and, mm. um, I was able to go back to school, gave everything up, um, moved back into my parents' house. Wow. Um, what, what just, age were you at that stage? I believe I was somewhere around maybe 19, 20, wow. maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So 19 or 20. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, and I went and registered myself at a community college, yeah. um, put in the time there, uh, worked really hard, got a degree in, uh, or studied biology and chemistry. And, uh, cause I've always had a, had a love for the sciences. Um, and I didn't want to go the computer science route. I've always liked to sort of expand my, my knowledge. So I decided to go a different route and go for, for sort of towards the medicine and, and things like that. Right. Um, and, uh, and got my way, got, you know, got a 4.0 at, at the community college and then got my way into UC Berkeley uh, which was my dream school. Um, one of my two dream schools that I'd always wanted to go to, uh, most of my life. So tell me why, uh, Berkeley was one of your dream schools, Armand. You know, it's just growing up in California. It was, um, uh, the, one of the, the, well, the number one, uh, rated public school. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and just, just a lot of history there, a lot of Nobel laureates, um, uh, beautiful campus. Fun um, place to live too. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and just, just a history of, of great, um, academics. And so I wanted to, I, I, I wanted to be a part of that. So molecular and cell biology. And I think you went on to attend Harvard, you know, med school. Tell us a little bit about that. What, <laughs> what made you choose to kind of go from the entrepreneurial path down, uh, you know, a medicine road? Well, you know, I mean, I'm at heart, I'm a scientist. Um, I have to say, you know, so I'm a businessman and a scientist. I think part of my success in business, um, both as a, as a business owner, but also when I have been an employee, um, I, my success has come from the fact that I take a scientific approach to everything I do. Right. So it's not really far-fetched for me to have, have, have gone down, down that path, but yeah. you know, it, it also allowed me to, um, sort of touch three very different 
areas. Uh, one is um, IT, computers, software, things like that. Um, another one being business, and then another one being medicine. And uh, and so to this day, it's it was um, I think it was one of the best decisions I made. Um, and I had an incredible experience, surrounded by some of the most uh, amazing human beings I've ever met. Yeah. Um, and really enjoyed uh, enjoyed the the process of learning and um, understanding the, the human body, human mind, and all of that. Um, and at the same time, uh, you know, having, having all the knowledge that I carried in with me. And you went on to med school, but I understand, did, did you go on and get your degree there? No. So about, yeah. uh, halfway through, I decided yeah. I wanted to, uh, I wanted to, to, uh, for personal and professional reasons, I decided to leave. Um, but it wasn't because I didn't love medical school. Um, I, I loved it and I was doing extremely well. Um, but uh, there was, there was other circumstances going on. I had just gotten married r- right. right before going off to med school and a few yeah. other things. And so it just, it, it made sense to, uh, to move back to Southern California. Got it. Got it. And so then what did you do at that stage? Did you start another business right away? Yeah. So I was, um, you know, at, at one point I was, um, about to start a business and, um, I, uh, I got called by an uncle of mine who owned a wireless company oh. and he said, you know, Hey, um, I really need someone to help me with some of my IT stuff. And, um, you know, him remembering my history. You had the reputation, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I said, I said, sure, what do you need? And he needed me to come in and do sort of a, sort of a turnaround on an IT department. Hmm. And so he hired me to come in. It was supposed to be a project. The project turned into a, a, a position and, um, I, uh, worked my way up to become the director of IT. Oh. And then, um, from there, uh, just typical of what Armand does, decided I wanted to take this huge leap because the company was struggling in sales. Right. And I said, you know, let me take over the sales. And oh. I made the suggestion of making me uh, director of sales. And he sort of laughed at me and said, you know, what do you know about sales, kid? Um, and I said, well, let me prove it to you. And so I took a massive pay cut um, to go from being director of IT to becoming a regional sales manager wow. um, for 12 retail locations. And Again, went was through- Was he a, a, cell, a cell phone wireless franchise? Is that what- Exactly, yep. yeah. Kind yep. of. Mm-hmm. And so the company had over 200 stores. And so wow. I took over uh, managing 12 of them. And then from 12, I was promoted to run 30 of them. And then from 30, went up to uh, a regional, or uh, the, we called it a uh, uh, regional manager, territory manager. Right. And then from there, went on to eventually become the director of sales for the company. Nice. And it was- uh, it was, it was a great experience to, um, you know, to have that growth. And again, to get to experience not only, um, the IT side, but then really getting into, uh, sales and retail and, and, um, understanding that at a completely different level. Yeah. Do you remember the first time you started managing people? I do. Absolutely. I'd say, you know, I think the, the, uh, the very first time was back when I started my first company. Yeah. Right. I think, um, the way I think about it this way, I'd l- I think of that first time that I had um, that department full of people at the wireless company. I think that's where I, I really got my first taste of truly managing a, a, a reasonable size uh, team of people. And I'm sure a lot of people who are much older than you, too, I imagine. Absolutely. In a yeah. lot of cases, that was the case. Yeah. What, were, fact, some of the, uh, what were some of the challenges you had during that period? You know, it was, it was understanding that... Um, at the end of the day, it was about getting the result I was after mm. and not about my ego, not about me, not about, um, uh, you know, my ideals, but 
Instead, there was a result I was after. So whether I was managing the IT department or the sales department, there were things I was trying to get done. And what I learned that was probably the most valuable lesson I learned, and I use it to this day in business, was that, uh, but it was a tough lesson to learn, was that uh, it's your employees aren't necessarily going to fit into the mold that you Mm. want them to fit into. So it's your job to adapt to them. It's easy when you're the boss to think, well, everyone needs to adapt to me, but really it's the other way around for the best managers I know in the world is they're able to adapt to deal with each individual differently. Now, you know, we can, we can give everyone uh, personality tests, scores, and this and that, and teach them how to work with us. And sure that might work. And I've tried that in the past, but what works better is, you know, if I'm so good at, at management, well, then I should be able to adapt to their style. And so, um, you know, I, I, I learned that, that that's what, how I got the best results. And so, um, uh, I adapted and, and when I adapted, I started getting the results I wanted and, and suddenly I didn't care that I wasn't doing it the way I wanted mm. to, because the results are what I ultimately wanted. That's a great lesson. And, you know, the earlier you learn that in the career, the better. And it sounds like you learned that very early on. I did. I was very fortunate. Yeah. 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 How would you say your, uh, leadership styles evolved over time? You know, I think, um, as I've gotten older, um, the one big thing I've learned is to stop trying to make so many decisions Mm. and to really empower my, my team to make decisions. Um, I remember I hired someone as a consultant about 12 years ago and he came in and he said, you know, you need to put a sign up behind your desk that says, I don't make decisions. (laughs) And at the time, you know, I, I, I thought, gosh, this is horrible advice. I was like, this guy's a smart guy and you know, I'm paying him a lot of money, but gosh, that's one terrible piece of advice I'm not going to follow. Mm. And I remember he would repeat that every once in a while. And I just, it never clicked for me mm. because my job, right? If you, if you were to really look at what I did day in and day out as it, in this case, a CEO, but even when I was a, a director of sales or whatever, really the job title on my card should have been decision maker because that's what I did. I made decisions. I was really good at making decisions. People would bring me problems and I'd say, here's the decision, you know? And what's interesting is, is at the time it didn't connect with me, but over the years I learned that that was probably the best advice I ever got. And I just didn't know it. Hmm. Um, because when I finally made that shift and it happened over many years, um, I realized that what it comes down to is you hire people uh, for the purpose of making decisions That's right. right now, you want them to yeah. make good decisions. The problem I had before was I would either delegate and forget about it. Right. Or I would say, well, they can't do it anyway. So I'm just going to figure it out myself. Right. So if someone came to me and said, Hey, what do you think we should do about this? So let's say it was a marketing thing. And someone said, you know, how much money do you think we should invest in this marketing campaign? Well, uh, you know, I would ask them questions and then I would tell them the answer right? Or at least what I thought was the answer. Right. But what I've realized now is to ask, well, what do you think? What are your thoughts? Yeah. And then I say, um, you know, nowadays, um, people who, uh, who've worked for me for a long time know to not try to get me to make their decisions for them, but they know that what I expect is I expect a recommendation, right? So give me the facts and a recommendation and, 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 I'll look at that recommendation if it's something that needs to come to me. Now, in a lot of cases, it doesn't even need to come to me, but I'll look at your recommendation and either say yes or say, no, you need to go rework that, right? Mm. So don't come to me and say, what do you think the marketing budget should be? Come to me and say, Armand, I believe that for this particular trade show, a marketing budget of $15,000 will work. And the reason I think that is because of this, 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 and this. What are your thoughts? Or 
do I have your permission or approval to, to move forward with this? Yeah. See, that's the kind of employee that I, I, I know is going to eventually get to the point where they don't need me anymore because right. what I can do is I can give them guidance right. so that they can make the right decision and they own the decision. So if, if, you know, I give them a budget of 10,000 and it's not enough, well, they're the ones who set 10,000, even if right. they started at 20 and I worked them down to 10, it doesn't matter. It was in the end, it's their decision. Yeah. Right. And, and, and so I've learned that when you treat employees that way in the short term, it's a lot of work because it would be so much easier to just answer it for them. But right. in the long term, they stop coming to you for the same questions. Yeah. And in the long term, yeah. they get empowered and your most talented people um, are much more likely to stay with you um, when uh, they're being treated in that way. Yeah. That's great. Great advice. And uh, again, another thing to learn early on in your career. Very, very helpful. Um, thinking about some of the bosses you've had in the past, you know, obviously when you came to your uncle's operation in wireless, you had people that you worked for. Uh, share with us some of the best or, or frankly, some of the worst lessons you've learned uh, over time from those bosses. You don't have to mention any names, Armand, but you know, I know from my own experience, sometimes you observe behaviors and go, man, I'm never going to do that. And that's, a, that's sometimes a very valuable lesson. Yeah. You know, I'd have to say I'm, I'm blessed that I've had really good bosses mm. uh, for for almost every position I've ever been in. Um, and often as a business owner and with the fact that I do business consulting and, and uh, being an advisor and, and things like that these days, um, sometimes my, my customers are like my boss or let's say sure. a board of directors puts me in place at a company as an interim CEO. Well, then they become my boss. And right. so I, to this day, I still have bosses, although not in that corporate structure kind of way. So true. And so, yeah. you know, what I've, what I've seen that I like the best are bosses who judge me by the numbers and the results. Hmm. The ones who are far less concerned with how I'm doing something and much more concerned with what result I'm getting. Yeah. When people start to, um, to start to question my methods, um, especially in the middle of something, um, it, it, I don't do well with it. And the hmm. other thing is when people start to question the methods when the results are already there, that's the one that really bothers me. You know, mm. if I'm getting results and I'm not breaking the law, I'm not breaking company policy, I'm not doing anything that goes against morals and values and things like that. Um, I, I don't like to have my methods questioned mm. um, because I find that that, that disempowers, uh, disempowers you. And in my own management, I make a very... Um, uh, I make a big effort to not judge people by, by the way they go about doing something, but rather the result that they get. And I tell my employees, my, my top level management, I always tell them, I say, here's the, here's the thing with working with me is I'm going to judge you by the numbers. I am going to judge you by the results. Now, if you're getting results, I don't care how you do it. I don't care right. what methods you use. Don't break the law. Don't, you know, all that stuff, but I'm not going to question your method. However, mm -hmm. God forbid the day you're not getting the results because then I am going to micromanage you like you wouldn't believe, <laughs> right? And I'm going to get you in. You jump in the sandbox. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I'm jumping in with you and now you're going to have to deal with me. And trust me, right. it's not fun to deal with me. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so, so you need to get the results. And, uh, and of course, you have to make the results clear. So that's the other thing is I've had uh, bosses who are great bosses where they tell me, you know, what exactly is expected of me, right? right? And there's no like, um, sort of like side agreements where they don't tell you that area. one of the ways yeah. you're being judged yeah. is, you know, I don't know how early you arrive to work, you know, or, or something else that they haven't told you or how you dress. It's like, look, if you value me arriving early, being dressed professionally and getting certain, hitting certain numbers, well, tell me those things and I will accomplish them. But 
if, if the expectations are not set, um, and again, going back to me being a math guy, um, I like expectations to be set hmm. with numbers everywhere possible. Right. Right. And so it's, uh, um, it's, it, it's the way that, that I work and the best managers I've seen definitely have, have had those qualities. Awesome. Listen, I want to get up to where you're doing today, but before I, you know, when you and I spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, you had a kind of an interesting uh, uh, foray into the recycling area with uh, All Green Electronics Recycling, which is a company I understand that is still running today. Um, and uh, tell us a little bit about your inspiration for that back in 2007, 2008, and, and you know, how you kind of got engaged with that and, and where that business is today. Absolutely. Yeah. So it was, um, my first big entrepreneurial venture since mm. after medical school. And, um, uh, I was told about this, um, uh, TV show on 60 minutes about this, this thing where electronic waste was being dumped into, uh, landfills and, and destroying the environment. And having been a kid who went to school at Cal Berkeley, um, and, you know, being a, uh, I like to call myself a, a tree hugger, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, I, uh, I, I, I saw that and I thought, gosh, look at this. Here's something that takes the environment and combines it with the IT world. Mm. Um, and then getting into how realizing how, um, as I started doing some research, it was even more interesting than I thought, because a big part of all of this was data security and the theft of, of, um, uh, intellectual property and so many right. other things that go along with that. And so I, I fell in love with the concept. And so I, I decided to launch this business with, um, with very small investment and, um, uh, you know, really just getting in myself and, and building it from the ground up. Um, really, really, really hard work. Um, seven day, seven days a week, mm. 16 hour days, um, to get the company going. Um, and so today it's been around for about 12 years. It does extremely yeah. well. Um, I'm not involved with the day-to-day -day operations anymore, although I'm still the CEO. Um, but as with my five other companies that I own, um, I've gotten them all except for the one that I'm actively involved in every day, um, which is my coaching. Uh, I've gotten all, all of them to the point where the people in charge um, are the ones running the company, mm. right? So my director of sales runs sales. My director of operations runs operations. My uh, CFO handles the finances. And, and it's not that I'm blind to it. I, in fact, I get key performance indicators, KPIs coming mm. to my cell phone via text message every single day from every single one of my high level directors in every mm. single one of my own companies. And in fact, I'm CC'd on uh, KPIs for about 10 to 12 different companies that I'm also an advisor for. And so I've developed these systems of using KPIs to, um, to manage the ins and outs of all these businesses. And so that's how with the recycling company, um, as, as big as it is, um, I'm able to be hands off for the most part, because at any moment, if anything is not exactly where it should be, um, I see it in the numbers and I react accordingly. Mm. That's awesome. So, so what are some of the uh, key performance indicators or KPIs that you do track? What are the most salient ones? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting because when you look at people talk about KPIs, a lot of times, um, you know, the, the, I'll ask the, when I go to do be an advisor for a new company, I'll say, well, you know, we have to implement KPIs. And they say, oh, yeah, yeah, we already have KPIs. <laughs> and then when I ask them what those KPIs are, typically they're very big picture things right. um, that um, are being tracked, first of all, maybe on a monthly basis, but even that when you ask the CEO or they ask the manager of, of the department, you know, let's say for example, um, I, I, there's someone who manages a call center as a director of some sort of a call center with 50 employees. And they say, Oh, we track KPIs all the time. 
And I say, okay, well, what's one of your KPIs? And maybe they say it's, um, you know, the, the time you spend on a call on average, right? Um, or the number of calls per day that you make, if it's cold calling outbound cold right. calls. So my question would be to turn to the manager and say, okay, yesterday, who was your number one performer? Or on average for this month, you know, where I don't know, 10 days in the month, 15 days in the month, on average, what's your, what's the length of your calls? Hmm. And if they have to go to a resource, like a piece of paper or their email or their phone to get the data, then I know they don't truly have KPIs. Right. Because if you think about personal KPIs, some of your personal KPIs are things like your weight, <laughs> your height doesn't change right. much these days, right? When you're growing up, but at one point it did. Um, or the, the, the greatest KPI dashboard ever created um, is your car's KPI dashboard, right. which shows you your speed, your, your um, RPMs and you know whether your car's overheated and things like that. And if you think about it, if you are driving your car on the freeway and I cover up your dashboard and I say, how fast are you going? You're not going to be able to tell me exactly how fast you're going, but you're going to say, you know, I think I'm going between 70 and 75. Now, maybe you're going 68, maybe you're going 77, but if you tell me you're going 75, trust me, you're not going 42 miles an hour and you're not <laughs> going hundred, right? Whereas when I ask the same question of most CEOs or high level executives of companies, and I question them on their key KPIs they are off by a factor that would be the equivalent of driving your car at 70. And I say, how fast are you wow. going? And you say 200 miles an hour or 22 miles an hour. Wow. Right. And so what it, what you realize is that they sort of have KPIs, but it's not KPIs that they're using on a day to day mm -hmm. basis mm -hmm. to run their business or run their department. And that's where the biggest difference comes in. Difference comes in. Um, and so in all of my companies, I have those, and I know you asked for specifics. So let's take, for example, um, a, uh, one of my companies, uh, is, is we do data destruction. That's all it specializes in data security. Mm. And so for that one, it's a very simple type of type of business where, uh, we have leads that come in from our various marketing efforts and it's, uh, companies who are looking to have hard drives, um, shredded or wiped. Right. And so we track the number of leads we've received in any given day. Right. Mm. Then we track the number of conversions in any given day. And then we track the dollar amount of the sales in any given day. Right. And those three are going to be our key performance indicators for our right. sales department. Now we may track other things and we do trust me, but at the CEO level yeah. for that company on a, on a, from a sales perspective, all I care about is how many leads did we get? How many did we convert? And what was the total value of the conversions, the dollar right. amounts? Right. Now, if I get a number, like they say, well, we received 50 leads and we converted four leads. Okay. This is where now as a CEO, I do what's called the dig here. They, they mm. immediately uh, get a response back from me via text message. And it says, give me the breakdown by salesperson or give me the breakdown of, of what happened with those, you know, 46 other calls or whatever the numbers work out. Right. So I forget what I said, but it's, it's that type of thing. And because they're tracking it, they better be tracking it. Right. So when they send it to me, if everything looks good, again, I'm not going to question the details, but the minute something is off, now I question everything. Hmm, um, and right. I can, I can dig in deeper and if I find number is wrong. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Time to look it, more. And it's, it's, and I have a lot of KPIs in, in various companies that are like the, um, uh, the light on your car that shows when your engine is overheated. Right. See your car right. doesn't, every day you get in your car doesn't, 
tell you, uh, doesn't have this big display that shows the temperature of your engine because frankly, most of us don't care and wouldn't even know what to do with that information anyways. Right. When we need that light is when something goes wrong, the car's overheating or something's going on and it's a red light that goes on. And, you know, so with KPIs, it's, it's much the same where sometimes Mm. you need, you know, you need something that's like a gas gauge, correct. And it just shows you where your gas is at. So when you want to know, you look down and you go, Oh, okay. I have about a half tank. And then you don't look at it again for a day. And then sometimes that gas gauge gets so low that a little red light goes on. And then if your car is one of these fancy ones, hey, if it gets a little bit lower, now it starts beeping at you, right? If it's really fancy, maybe it's got a display that tells you, you know, you're low on fuel or tells you how many miles you have um, before you run out of gas. Now, I have an all-electric household. We have nothing but Teslas in my house, but um, (laughs) same thing applies to battery life. Um, You know, it's, it's those kinds of KPIs that make the best managers in the world be able to be the best managers in the world yeah, and yeah, allow you to be able to um, manage your team without being in in every single detail of what they do. You mentioned you run five different companies. How, how similar are the company cultures between them? Are they different? Is there a common commonality between them or, you know, anything specifically unusual about any of them from a cultural standpoint? That's it. That, you know, that it's interesting. Gosh, you're a good interviewer because I've never, ever, ever been asked that question. Mm. Um, I've been asked if they're similar, but to specifically ask about culture, um, you know, I, I, I'd say that um, culturally they, they're very similar um, mm-hmm. in that it's a culture where um, where numbers are king. Right. And so KPIs, KPIs are matter. king. Yeah, <laughs> we certainly exactly. know that. Yeah. You know, KPIs matter. Um, we, um, we celebrate our successes, hmm. um, and when things aren't going well and, and we're, um, you know, we don't have a reason to celebrate, then we talk about it and we, you know, we, we make sure that we, um, um, uh, we understand when we're not meeting the numbers. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, it's a, it's always a culture of hard work. Um, I believe, hmm. uh, very much that, um, not only success, but also happiness comes from, from working hard. And so, um, I, I like to keep my, my team always in an upward movement, you know, where they're always trying to get to that next stage in, in life and in business and in their job so that they're trying to grow. Um, and so I think you see that culture, uh, throughout all my companies and, mm-hmm. um, they, you know, their businesses, the businesses have nothing in common. Um, you know, the data security company and all green recycling have some commonality, right. but other than that, you know, the other businesses are, are, are have nothing to do with it. You know, I have one in the medical industry. I have a photography videography studio. Um, I have a, and, and film production company. And then I have a, um, digital marketing search engine optimization company. Mm. Um, and then my business consulting and, and things like that. So it's, they're, they're very much, um, unrelated to one another, but they're the way that they're managed, um, is, is extremely similar and their cultures are, are a lot alike. What do you look for when you're making bets on the people you invest in, whether it's hiring new folks or perhaps promoting them within some of these companies? Because I'm sure you're involved in some of that as well. Absolutely. Um, you know, my number one rule in um, in, in uh, hiring people is I hire people who I think are going to be able to be promoted. Hmm. Um, you know, if I'm trying to hire, let's say, a um, a line level employee I don't interview them for a line level employee job. I interview them as if I'm interviewing the the lead of the department right? and I see, can they be the lead, right? With the right guidance and the right experience. And if they can, that's who I want to go for. Now, if I'm interviewing your lead, I want to see, can they be a supervisor? If there's, you know, if it's a supervisor, can they be a manager? Can a manager be a director? Mm. If I'm hiring someone at the highest level of the company, 
are they capable of replacing me one day? Hmm. Because if they're not, that's probably not the right person to be putting into hmm. that position. And I make that very clear to them that as I bring them in, I say, look, this is what I'm bringing you in for is, is I want you to want to grow. And some people uh, you'll see on their face during the interview, they'll, they'll essentially look at you and say, well, I don't, I don't want to grow. I kind of like, you know, doing this. <laughs> and, and you know that, um, that they're not going to be the right fit under Will my you pass system. on those people. I absolutely do. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard because you have good people that you know could do a job right, really well. Right. Um, but you know, I've I've realized that for me, that pipeline um is much more important. Um, because um, and I do demand a lot of people. Um, so the the only way you're gonna put up with all the things I'm I'm gonna demand of you as an employee is if you so badly wanna grow that you're willing to do whatever it takes. <laughs> right. Right. You know, and so um and, and enjoy the process. And, and, yeah. and they do. Well, you've been very generous with your time. A couple last questions, though. You, you had mentioned a little earlier on, and I think also when we spoke a few weeks back, you've got these five businesses, but you're really focusing now on the coaching and kind of sharing your learning. Tell us a little bit about your motivations and kind of transitioning from those businesses, many of which, of course, you ran and made them successful before you kind of stepped onto the next one. But but why yeah. kind of now move to more of the coaching and, and sharing your uh, your learnings with others? Absolutely. You know, it's for me, I, I, I'm a, I've become a serial entrepreneur. Mm. And so while I own six companies today, I've started a total of 12 over my career, including wow. restaurants and, and, um, all sorts of stuff that has nothing to do with any of my current industries. Um, and so what I realized is what makes me get up early in the morning, like this morning, I got up at about three forty-five in the morning. What gets me up in the morning is, is knowing that there's a challenge ahead of me. Mm. Um, and I like change. I like new things. Um, some people, um, like things to be the same. Um, I have a daughter who's like that and she just likes things to be exactly the same. Mm. And I'm not one of those people. Same <laughs> bothers me. And so what I found in my own companies is I would first get excited and I would start fixing things, you know, and I'd make them better and make improvements. And at one point I'd hit a point where, um, really things were going pretty well. Yeah. And when there were no problems, I would lose interest <laughs> right, and right. either have a hard time getting myself to, to show up to get work motivated, every day right? yeah. or I'd, hmm. worse, I'd start breaking things. No, I didn't <laughs> Just do so it. Just so you could fix them again, right? I didn't do it <laughs> consciously knowing I was breaking things, sure, but sure. subconsciously something would get me to, to, to make these changes that maybe weren't the best decisions. And so, um, so at one point I realized, gosh, you know, I've started so many of my own companies um, and I got into a couple of situations where I was helping others, but really at heart, I'm a teacher mm. um, and I'm better at uh, going in, doing something short term with a massive um, impact. Um, and so I decided that, that that's the direction I was going to go. Mm. And I was fortunate that um, a few uh, CEOs uh, trusted me and I came one in and yeah. I, I advised them and and so I've, I've now got this incredible, uh, honor to be able to be, to act as a, as a coach for some business owners, as an advisor to some really amazing CEOs. Mm. Um, and then in some cases I go in and, and, and I act as an interim CEO, um, or a part-time CEO, or I'll take on a specific project within a company. Um, and you know, when I go into something, I, I, I never want to plan to be in it more than three to six months. Mm. Um, now some of my coaching clients and where I'm an advisor, they've had me for years, but it's not that, um, you know, that we're still working on the same things. It's just that they, they enjoy working with me. And, and so we've continued to work together, but right. I love getting into something, you know, three months, six months, fixing it, doing, making incredible progress and then handing it off to other people and leaving them with the systems so that they can do 
they can get the same results and better that I was getting, hmm. um, but without me physically having to be there. Do you still have your eyes on looking at starting up new businesses or have you kind of put that on hold for a while? You know, I don't know that I be, would be interested in starting up any mm. of my own new businesses these mm. days. Um, but I uh, have have considered a few different uh, opportunities that have come my way where it's been young startups who want me to come in and be a yeah. partner right. and, 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 and sort of be that CEO. But it's a very, very early startup stage. Sure. Um, I've considered some of those. Um, but for the most part, I'm really enjoying where I'm at. Yeah, um, sounds like and, you're very passionate about it. I am. I am. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's incredible to be able to take all the, uh, all the experience that I have and, and get results because, you know, these days when I go into a company, uh, I can get such incredible results in such a short time because, you know, I go in day one and, and they have a sales team and they don't have proper KPIs like daily, weekly, monthly right. coming to them actively, you know, that'll be in a KPI dashboard somewhere, which means nothing. Right. And I make that change and almost immediately you see massive changes and increases in, in sales. And it's, it's exciting to see, by the way, the same applies to operations. It's no different. I use sales as an example, but it, it works in, in every area. Um, awesome. Last yeah. question. You've been so generous. Uh, well, what career and life advice would you give to someone that has their eyes on their own corner office or, or perhaps wants to become a serial entrepreneur like yourself? You know, I, I think that the, the, First part of it, if someone wants that corner office, um, I think the key is to understand what it is that the people who make the decisions of when you get that corner office, understand mm. what exactly they want. And some of them may not be so good at, at, at conveying that to you, right? So understand in no uncertain terms, what are the expectations? And it may require you to schedule meetings with them. It may require you to, you know, buy them uh, lunch or dinner or mm. drinks or something, but you want to sort of pry it out of them. Um, and, and sort of, you know, tell them why, tell them you want to be an incredibly exceptional, exceptional employee and, and that you want to know exactly what they expect, because without those expectations, um, you may be an amazing employee, uh, get doing all the stuff that you want, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're getting what they want. Right. Um, and, and then the other thing is, is know that it's going to be hard work. Um, mm. at the end of the day, um, it, it comes down to working hard. Now, when I say hard work, I don't mean just labor or number of hours. One of the biggest things about hard work is actually working intelligently, um, such as doing the important things before you do the urgent things. Right. Um, you know, instead of coming into the office every day and putting out 20 fires, you may have to let three or four of those fires just burn and hopefully they don't burn down the building. But then go knock out two or three things that have absolutely no urgency hmm. um, on your calendar, right? Things that you know are extremely important, right? They're those big picture things. Go after those things and knock out one of those every day, two of those every day. Because in the long term, it's those important things that are not yet urgent that are going to stop those urgent things from coming up later. Um, and that's what I mean by hard work. Sometimes it's hard because you're putting in the hours, but sometimes it's hard work because you're not getting to do what you want to do, right. but you're doing the things that are going to give you the best results. Armand Siddiqui, thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode. 